BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. down in here because we didn't like we won but i'm complaining about something normally and uh, so i won't complain about a red zone offense right now but uh how, how does mike leach uh, celebrate a win like that what are you going to be doing tonight to uh to, to celebrate a big victory for you in this program i'm going to get on a bus and i'm going to ride for four hours to uh, Starkville, Mississippi. Now, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't pretty, but when that ball went through the uprights, it was one of the prettiest things I'd ever seen. We just beat LSU on the road, go Hawks. Yeah, great team win for us. Always good to uh, keep the Mayor's Cup where it belongs in the city of Columbia. You like that? Could have gone to either Columbia. Does, uh, does it feel like bad performance in some ways? I mean, thank it, you, Trent Grimm from the Independent, right there. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, that's a win. I get it, Dan. I get it, Dan. But, but you said it exactly, Chip. You answered it. 10-0, undefeated in the SEC. Uh, that's where we've gotten. It makes no guarantee for what's going to happen in the future. Uh, we got a lot of guys that we've got to try to get better and, and improve. And um, we got to tackle better. There's a lot of things we can work on to get better. And you know what I love? Is the being in that locker room over there beside me. They all know that. And uh, nobody thinks they've arrived. Um, there's things we can work on and get better at and they'll continue to do it. But tonight, they, they, they went through a tough gauntlet in our league and, uh, and played well. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Michael on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? (laughs) Oh, man, what isn't going on? We got a great interview lined up with uh, Matt Baker, the Tampa Bay Times. We just had the college football playoff rankings came out. We got Mm -hmm. leaked audio from Kirby. We got coaching rumors. Man, this is a loaded, (laughs) loaded show we got here. Oh, man, that's what I love about November, Mike, because if your team's sucking, you you can start starting rumor mills about other coaches that are successful, you know? So <laughs> it's that time of the year. You're getting your Christmas list ready. <laughs> Absolutely, and before we get to all that, Shane, man, this, they're not in the SEC yet. We're kind of They're kind of like the uh, redheaded stepchild, so to speak, of the oh, SEC yeah. right now, but the Texas Longhorns, there is a viral – uh, question going around here. Steve Sarkeesian got asked, and we like to start off with something funny, something weird if we can. This is the weirdest damn question I have ever heard a uh, head coach ask, and I listen to every one of these damn pressers. So let's kick it over to uh, something's going on down there in Austin. Good morning to you, Coach Sarkeesian. Good morning. Coach, a couple of years ago, one of my good friends and I were faced with a massive problem we couldn't solve. And in his wisdom, he said, you know, at this point, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what would an extraordinary person do in this situation? And this resonated with me the whole weekend. And I realized that of all the coaches who could be standing at that podium right now in those shoes, you are that extraordinary person. And you have a team of what I call coaching juggernauts. This is not only my opinion, this is a fact. I don't think anyone could dispute this. So my question as we write, you know, the Sarkeesian era story, we're not even done with the first chapter yet. Can you unfold some of the onion of what are you working on? How are you solving this problem? I realize that you might not even know, but you know, I'm going to steal from Julian Elliman. It's going to be one hell of a story. Yeah, I think I think first of all, 
All right, Shane, I still, I played this two or three times. I'm trying to figure out what in the hell is the point. Was there a question in there? And uh, uh, does, I wonder if this reporter's coming with him to the SEC. Oh, my God. Two or three times, Mike. Damn, I can barely make it through the questions. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, the favorite comment I saw in this one was like, I would love to see them ask Nick Save on this question. <laughs> Golly, this guy, man, he practiced this shit in the mirror, didn't he? He was like, this is my time, man. Mom, turn on this channel because I'm going to be on it, man. <laughs> Oh, my God. What are we doing down there? These, this guy's going to get a lot. I cannot wait to see him at SEC Media Days. They're going to eat this dude's lunch. <laughs> I can't believe Sarkeesian just sat there, you know, and answered just uh, – you own the presser, man. Time out. Season's not going as well as we want. But, damn, there's a reason you're the first-year coach there, and that's because you don't have the roster. So, don't panic. There's a lot of Bama fans that love to have Sarkeesian back there at OC, man. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And apparently he's got the, the greatest staff assembled ever to man, according to this man. You know what? <laughs> God, you remember two years ago. With, no, <laughs> idiot, get out of here. Well, sticking to that theme, Shane, Big 12 coming to the SEC. Latest rumor on the LSU coaching search is old Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma coach. Uh, that has been kind of percolating for a little while. Uh, I'm honest. Mm. So, you know, there, there's rumors that the, uh, the LSU crew came down there and visited them. I don't know if you can really get away with coming to Norman. I'm sure somebody would have spotted something. But uh, apparently Lincoln was, you know, they just lost the game to Baylor. Maybe there's some distractions. He Apparently he canceled or missed some press availability that he's never missed before. And then Mm. here this week, he was asked about the rumors, the LSU speculation. Let's kick it over to Lincoln Riley. Gave kind of a no answer here. A lot of speculation in recent days connecting (laughs) you with the LSU job or or talk around that. Uh, Have you or any of your representatives had contact with them? And just, you know, know, uh, what's that like to, you know, handle that in the middle of the season? It's nothing to handle, you know. I mean, it's it's pretty easy, you know. I coach uh, the University of Oklahoma football team, and you guys know me. You know how I feel about this place and this program. So I, we've we've all been down this road many times before. You you guys know where I stand on that, and that hadn't changed. All right, Chase. So we've been down this road. What the hell does that mean? Does that mean <laughs> yes? Does that mean no? I don't know. But uh, and you know, let's give a little bit more. You know, we're not just trying to pass along message board rumors because uh, ESPN analyst Tom Luganbill, he has been on several radio shows this week and asked about this, and he thinks that Lincoln Riley is leaving Oklahoma for LSU. Uh, Now, he's not reporting that per se, but he just, I don't know, you have to seek that interview out if you're really interested. But basically, his point being is he thinks there's something going on behind the scenes, Shane. And Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, it would make sense because while Lincoln Riley, I I believe they've won six Big 12 titles in a row. They've been to, Mm -hmm. I think, three playoff, three college football playoffs in a row. They've got that thing rolling. But you bring Oklahoma into the SEC, Shane, you can't win a national championship at Oklahoma currently. Is it yeah. realistic that you're going to be able to beat Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M? You may be able to compete with those teams, you know, every couple of years, but I just don't know if uh, Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma, they've got the roster right now to win in the SEC at, a, at an elite level, at a level those fans expect, whereas I think if you jump to LSU – you're getting a better roster. You're getting a better recruiting mm-hmm. landscape. You're getting, uh, you're just, you're the only show in town in a state that I believe per capita produces more NFL players than anybody in the country. So I don't know, Shane, what do you, what do you think about that? LSU, a better job than Oklahoma? I say yes. Oh, Mike, I, I think that's, that's a loaded question, man. It's, it's one of those that you, you think about it, okay? Let's say we move these guys over. We move Texas in. We move, we move Oklahoma in. 
it's like you said, they're the big dogs right now in their conference, but when they come over here, they're not. Right. We're, there's a lot of big dogs sitting over here, maybe even bigger if you ask me. Like you said, you mentioned Alabama. You look at Georgia, the talent. The, this is just the pure talent. I mean, look at the roster that Oklahoma has now. Mm-hmm. Most of that talent came from the South, you know. So, yeah, I, I think that's the key is – and I don't like to speculate because I also heard, you know, Apple's leaving Tennessee for Oklahoma, and I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? Did they fire him up there? No, they still got Lincoln. And – and Oklahoma has a ton of money. Oklahoma has a presence that they are a blue chip team, man. I, I'm not. I don't think they're going to struggle as much as some folks think they will when they come in the SEC because they have established themselves as a good football team. Mm-hmm. I just think you know when you look at that precious record that he's carrying up there, you're not going to be able to do that in the SEC. You're going to have to have spectacular teams. So. Right now, you got a good roster. What does it look like four or five years from now? If I'm a guy that's recruiting, even, man, just think about when we're kids and we're playing NCAA, man, where did you go? You went to a Texas team. You went to a Florida team. You went to a Georgia team. You went to a a Louisiana team, somewhere where the the talent is because you're always going to – if you could protect your borders – you're going to have a good roster down there at LSU. You're not in Oklahoma, Mike. So, I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm going where the talent is. Now, I don't. for years past, they've been able to get the talent in Oklahoma. I think it changes a little bit when you, you get on over here to the SEC, Mike. Yeah, and maybe I should clarify, because I'm not sitting here trying to sound like a fool and say Oklahoma's like some G5 program and they, you know, they can never right. compete. But I just think when they get into the SEC – you know, just imagine their schedule. Let's say they play A&M, LSU, mm-hmm. Ole Miss, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, they're, I just don't think their lines of scrimmage are going to hold up right away. Now, I think they could get uh-uh. they could probably get there in two or three years, the way they're playing and the way they recruit yeah. and the prestige of that program. But I think at LSU, you got that right now. Even though they're struggling, yeah. the talent is there. And that I think that's how these coaches got to look at it, man, because – even a place like hell, we're seeing it with Sarkeesian. You have one down here. I'm not gonna, not saying they're, they're they'd run Lincoln Riley off, but you have two bad years, three bad years in the SEC. They will run your ass off. Whereas Coach O, I mean, just, Coach won, he just won national example. championship. <laughs> right. If you go to LSU, and you know maybe it takes you a year to get off the ground, but by year two, I think you can have an elite squad. And and given the talent they have, hell, maybe you can do it right away. We're seeing. Uh, Josh Heupel turned it right right around. Sam Pittman turned his program right around. Lane Kiffin turned his mm-hmm. program right around. It can be done if you got the talent. And I, I think that's right. what makes LSU such a an attractive job for all these coaches. That's I mean, that's why they're storied programs, Mike. That's why that's why Georgia and Florida and and LSU and all these teams, they stay at the top. It's not because they've had great coaches, which they have. They've had some really great coaches come through there. Mm-hmm. But, it, again, it comes with the it comes with the talent. And, man, there's so much – the Southeast is just loaded with players in the NFL, blue-chip talent, and that's never going to change, Mike. I don't see it changing anytime soon. And so, if you can and you have an opportunity to, to coach at one of those programs, you're nuts if you don't do it because – you, you pretty much are you control your own destiny when you're down at programs like that. You just you got to get the right coaches. You got to get the right players in there because you could see, man, you get the wrong staff. Coach O, and, and I think he's a prime example. You got a good staff. A lot of them got poached and went to the NFL, and then you have a bad staff. And look, everybody starts pointing fingers at you and saying <laughs> you're a bad coach. So I, I think there's a lot of factors. But Lincoln Riley, one of the things he's got is – the ability to recruit coaching. I, I think that's key for him, too. Uh, so, wherever he goes, he's going to be successful. And if he stays in Oklahoma, I still think he's going to be successful. I just think he – he, I don't know. I mean, it's a dream list. I think LSU would love to have him. But Oklahoma, man, they got some deep pockets, and they're going to do everything they can to keep him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Shane, let's move it along here. We got a lot to get to, and we just had some breaking news here kind of sort of from Athens. So uh, let's kick it on down there real quick where, man, if you're Georgia, you probably don't want this audio leaking out, but the response has been incredible here. Fans are loving it. Everybody's loving it outside of Gainesville, of course. But uh, (laughs) if you haven't heard, 
a little bit of a, a snippet here. It's a little hard to hear. I'll turn it up. But uh, some leaked audio. This is allegedly from Kirby Smart during halftime of the Florida game. And he holds nothing back on uh, wanting to whip them Gators here in Jacksonville. And that being said, if you got kiddos in the car, you may want to fast forward about 90 seconds here. <laughs> still remember, I still remember like yesterday. I still remember like yesterday walking out of this picture to have. The look, the look, the look and the feeling I had. Looking at Tyson, looking at Stokes, looking at those guys. You know what, guys? This is our fucking year. This is our fucking year. We're doing the how we play. It's zero to fucking zero, and you make them never want to play again. All that shit they're talking, I love it, Jamar. You didn't say shit. You don't say shit to them. You just laugh and point at the scoreboard. Let me get a picture, JD, pointing at the fucking scoreboard. Don't say shit to their undisciplined ass. Because we are. We are disciplined, and I am still going to take the fucking shit out of them. Physically, physically, I want to break them. I'm talking about fucking break these bitches on defense and offense. Let's go. All right, Shane, I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready to run through a damn brick wall for old Kirby. Oh, How about you? Oh, my God. I love it, Mike. I absolutely love this. I mean, obviously, whoever's poor kid that got recording here, you know, he's he's running right now. But <laughs> I'm telling you, Mike, I, this is what – this is what we've been saying about the Georgia Bulldogs, and it's just a, it's a mirror from the head coach. He knows what this roster is. He knows what this team's about, and he wants to go out there, and he's getting these boys fired up, and why not, man? This is their year. Go out there, and he doesn't want to beat them, man. He wants to kill them. Yeah. He wants to crush them. He doesn't want to – that's why we've, we've not heard anything coming into, you know, the, the Tennessee game, anything coming into the Florida game. There was no talk coming out of Athens. It's all being kept until this point in the locker room. But, man, you're, you're a head ball coach coming out here, man. I, I'd run through a wall for him. Yeah, without a doubt, Shane. And uh, just to add a little more fuel to that Georgia steam right here, uh, let's kick it over to Kirby real quick. Gives a positive update on George Pickens and running back Kendall Milton. Sounds like obviously Milton, they expect him to be get, possibly good for the Georgia Tech game, which is great news. And mm -hmm. no specific timeline here for George Pickens, but if they get him at all this year, this will be fantastic news for the Georgia Bulldogs and especially, of course, that receiving core. Yeah, Kirby, just wanted to ask for a quick injury update on Kendall Milton. Um, I noticed you didn't include him in yesterday's uh, update there. And and as long, along the lines of Xavier Truss, uh, you know, how has he looked in practice this week? Um, Kendall is, is back running, which is good. I think he got up to 10 to 15 miles an hour yesterday, uh, not truly practicing with us. He's cutting and running straight line. Um, Doubtful for this week that we would get him back, but optimistic that we would get him back for uh, Georgia Tech, which is kind of the, the timeline we've had uh, since the injury. So certainly hopeful we can get him back in time for Tech. Kirby, uh, last week you told us about, you know, George getting some work with the scouts. So I wanted to see if there was anything new with him this week, if there's any step forward for him in terms of uh, his progression back from that injury. Well, we're doing a lot of good on good, meaning we're, we're practicing you know, less against the scouts this week and more against you know ourselves and giving each other good looks. So he's been uh, going against our one defense some. Uh, we do seven on seven. He gets rid of He's really doing the same thing he did last week, if that's what you're asking. So, yeah, he's doing very similar things, just probably more of it in terms of more reps and, and more volume, picking that volume up. He's still in a non-contact jersey um, and, uh, and practicing with us. All right, Shane, hey, we got to move this thing along here. And speaking of Georgia, the playoff rankings just came out here. Fresh off the presses, no surprise, Georgia Bulldogs, number one, as they have been all season long. Number two, Alabama, no change there. Now, here we get uh, some risers here, Shane. Ole Miss, number 12, up three spots. Okay. I see you. Texas A&M, 16. They fell five after losing to Ole Miss. Hmm. Arkansas 21 they're up four spots okay and then number 25 Mississippi State they were not ranked last week but after that big comeback against Auburn so here we got almost the entire SEC West shade outside of <laughs> Auburn and Mississippi State ranked and then we got Georgia once again at number one but uh, there's your latest playoff ranking with the SEC teams wait who's, who's not ranked Auburn and LSU Okay, I thought you said Mississippi. So Mississippi State's on there. Number 25, well, uh, Mississippi State. 25? Yeah. 
Damn. What a, what a division, man. Come on over, Lincoln. <laughs> You're going to love it over there. <laughs> and look, I, this, here's my, I mean, this is just so, how dumb. Like, why is Auburn not ranked? Because they lost to number 25, number 16, number one. Like, get them out of here. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Put them in there. You know, I, hell, the way, Absolutely. the way LSU's playing, Arkansas's got me convinced they're a top 10 team here. So, uh, <laughs> throw LSU in there. Why not? You might as well have the whole damn division ranked. Oh, I love it, man. I love it. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right. Hey, next, Shane, I, I don't want to hold this off any longer here. We got a terrific interview with uh, Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. Went on a little deep dive here with uh, Dan Mullen and the state of the Gators. Obviously, the hottest topic here in the SEC, will Dan Mullen return and Matt, not 100% sure, just like the rest of us. So let's kick it over to our interview with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Matt Baker, and he is a, vote, a reporter excuse me, for the Tampa Bay Times. He votes in the AP Top 25 poll and the Heisman Trophy poll. He's a Heisman voter there, and he covers Florida and Florida State, and he's a must-follow at mbakertbtimes on Twitter. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and you just, over there at the Tampa Bay Times, you just put out an article, very interesting, on the fact that uh, we all know that if Dan Mullen is, in fact, going to return next season, he's going to have to do it with a reworked staff. How does that kind of play out based on the uh, the research that you've done at a lot of big-time programs that have kind of faced similar situations? Yeah, I was curious you know, first of all, I, I don't know that Mullen will be back, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I don't think anybody has a great idea right now. If I had to guess, I would lean toward no, but I also don't know that it's decided yet either. So I think the next couple of weeks will really go, uh, certainly have a role in, in what happens. But I just wanted to look and see if Dan is indeed the coach for the Gators next year. Obviously, he's, he fired defensive coordinator Todd Grantham and his offensive line coach, John Hevesy. So there's some sort of a shakeup that would happen depending and you know, who knows what else would happen either. Um, so I just wanted to look at some historical comps to see like, what are the odds that actually works? Because in my head, it seems like most of the time it does. Um, there are some success stories. A lot of Florida fans have pointed to, to Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, who went through a, you know, a four and eight season, fired the defensive coordinator, changed half the staff. And then they back, they win 10 games and they make the playoff twice in three years and, we know we'll make it again this year. Um, uh, Michigan, this past offseason, uh, had a bunch of sh- uh, staff shakeups. They, they uh, went younger overall on staff. I think just about every I think it's under 45 or something like that. And, you know, obviously right now as we see they're in the playoff picture. But there's a lot of negatives as well, right? Ron Zoden and Will Muschamp changed coordinators before the last season. Charlie Strong, Tom Herman at Texas made a bunch of uh, shakeups before their last season didn't work. USC changed coordinators uh, and ended up, you know, going into the final two years of Clay Helton. That didn't work. So yeah, it looks to me like this is not a, you know, if, if the Gators are looking to say, okay, what are the odds Dan Mullen, and if he, we give him a year five, what are the odds it works out with this new staff, that whatever it's going to be? I would lean toward it's more – that it does not work out and they turn around and that it does. Mm-hmm. And of course the, the Gators traveling to Missouri this weekend, I, that may not even be uh you know, that, that big of a topic right now in Gainesville because it's just so Dan Mullen centric in the future there. But, you know, of course, if you think a, to last season, this was the Darth Vader game. This was the, there was <laughs> yep. the brawl last season and, you know, both coaches are saying the right things this week. Let's hope there's no animosity that, that bleeds over to this game. But I'm not even talking about the animosity. I'm thinking more of Missouri, you know, being kind of disrespected in that game. Now they're fighting for their bowl lives. If they 
can beat the Florida Gators. They punch their ticket to the postseason. How dangerous of a matchup do you think this is for the Gators, taking all that into consideration and considering just how they basically no-showed for half the game against Sanford? I think this is a very dangerous matchup. Let's be real. Uh, If Florida had trouble beating Sanford and they couldn't beat South Carolina, I mean, it's it's always kind of risky to like start looking at transitive property, right? Who who did you lose to and, and who did they beat and all that stuff? But look, um, Florida or excuse me, Missouri just beat the South Carolina team that thumped the Gators a couple of weeks ago. So if you go by that, it, it certainly is, is a possibility. Um, Missouri can run the ball pretty decently, and it certainly has here lately. Florida can't stop the run at all. So I think this is a very dangerous matchup for the Gators. I mean, if they struggled in the first half, literally the the worst first half defensively in the history of the Gators program, if they did that against Sanford, what are they going to do against you know Eli Drinkwitz, who I think is a, a very competent head coach and, and uh, you know a good good running back there as well. So I I look at that and see I I, I see trouble, and I certainly see trouble the next week, even if Florida does beat Missouri. I, I look ahead to the Florida State game, and I see all sorts of warning, warning uh, signs going off for the Gators. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, Matt, I've been doing this long enough. None of these coaching firings and hirings, none of it really surprises me anymore. But I'm sitting here scratching my head trying to think of a coach that has taken such a perception hit as, a, as Dan Mullen has in the last 12 months because I considered him one of the best coaches in all of college football and yet this season, it's it's far more often seems like he's being outcoached or his team's making so many mistakes. Can you recall a coach that uh, has taken a perception hit this quickly in, in roughly you know twelve month span? Not off the top of my head, to be honest with you. I mean, Ed Orgeron and Gene Chizik had very spectacular falls from from higher highs to arguably lower lows or comparable lows, mm-hmm. um, but that played out a little bit longer and there were questions about both of them heading into, you know, and I think, I think a lot of people realized that they kind of caught lightning in a bottle with, with, uh, with Cam and then with, with uh, the, the Joes um, at LSU. This is, this is different because Dan had a track record, right? He did a fantastic job at Mississippi state second winning as coach in the history of that program. No, they did not win championships and all that stuff, but look, you have to look at he, what he did, where he was. And he had one of the most, you know, the best runs in Mississippi State history. Took him to number one in the country for goodness sakes. So that that was a remarkable job, and he he earned all the respect that he got from that. And his first two seasons, and what three quarters or two thirds of his third season in Gainesville, he did he did well. I mean, look, he went to two New Year's Six Bowls and and won those in the first two years, twenty one wins. Then things look like they're going the right way in year three as well and until the LSU game. And then it was just one thing after another after another. Um, obviously, the on-field stuff it was was most problematic with a, a literally the, the worst defense since at least World War II uh, that they had last year and things not getting much better this year, in some cases re- regressing. You look at some of the head-scratching losses and really just the last couple weeks. Like, you can... You can go through just about all of Mullen's losses at Florida and kind of rationalize it one way or another. Oh, you know, they were close with Alabama both times. And, you know, the LSU, yeah, they lost on a on a guy throwing a shoe in a 50-yard field goal. Like, mm-hmm. Boy, that's that's kind of fluky. And and the, the block kick against Kentucky, and, and, you know, they lost to a great uh, Georgia team that's destroying everybody because they, they collapsed in the last three minutes of the first half. And then you get to South Carolina. There's no excuse for that. None. Zero. A, a first-year coach at a middling SEC East program led by a third-string quarterback. There's no excuse for that. Zero. And then you look at the first half against Samper, and, and you know Dan wanted to kind of uh, tout how the Gators came back from from the 42 to 28 deficit and outscored them 42 10 the rest of the way, and uh, good on them, I, I guess. But that that first half was awful, and there's no excuse for it zero none and so i'm I'm like you i've i've been trying to put to kind of contextualize this whole thing and how quickly it all fell apart like i've been trying to point to a moment or a a decision or something like that but 
look, a, a program of Florida's caliber does not get to be this bad based on one thing. It's a confluence of events and decisions you know, when recruiting and who they made us, uh, you know, who, who they hired on their staff and kept on their staff and game day decisions and all that stuff that combine to have them where they are right now, where a coach that, you know, like you said, a lot of people, myself included, considered to be one of the best in the game is now fighting for his job heading into the final two two weeks, if, if that's even the, the right way to put it. Mm-hmm. Beyond the, the question of whether Dan Mullen, you know, whether he's let go or whether he returns, in my opinion, I, I'm just curious to know what you think. Considering the struggles of Miami and Florida State in recent seasons, is Dan Mullen's greatest failure the fact that he did not get more momentum in that state? Because I'm, I'm sitting here wondering – why the Gators just don't dominate, you know, in recruiting and, and just, uh, like I said, I mean, Florida State and Miami are, are kind of in shambles, whereas he's got, I think, three top ten finishes on the field at least, and, and there just doesn't seem to be any momentum from that. There's, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong here, uh, and that's one of them. And really, look, if I'm coming up with a list of why Florida's in this situation, recruiting is at or near the top of it. Absolutely. There's no question. I mean, I looked at the Georgia game, you know, to some degree, Alabama as well, but Georgia in particular looked like a team with a bunch of five stars playing a team with a bunch of three and four stars because lo and behold, that's what it was. And you can kind of look at the way, excuse me, that Mullen recruited the first couple of years. They weren't terrible, but it wasn't great either. Mm-hmm. You kind of kept looking and waiting for a breakthrough with recruiting and it didn't come. And it hasn't come. You know, as we sit here today, you know, Florida's got the number 23 class in, in 2022. Uh, 13 commits, seven of them are four stars, six are three stars. That's behind Florida State. Florida State right now has a, a 13 class, two five stars, including Travis Hunter, who is the best prospect in the country or one of them. That I, I don't understand it. It's not like... You know, Florida, I think Florida fans think that when the uh, the, the new uh, football training center opens here next year, that's going to be a big boost in recruiting. And, and yeah, I, th- I think it, it might be. But Florida State doesn't have anything like that. Florida State's facilities, by and large, are not as good as what the Gators have. So you can look at Florida's recruiting situation and maybe you blame it on facilities, but that's not stopping Mike Norvell at Florida State. You know, Norvell was behind the eight ball just in terms of, uh, you know, he's an outsider. He's not from the state of Florida. It's not like he had a ton of contacts. And then early in his tenure, COVID hits. He can't do any, on, you know, obviously recruiting gets shut down. So kind of his plans to go out and see and be seen, that can't happen. It's not like Dan's in that situation. So why is Florida State having a better class right now than the Gators? That to me is one of the most damning indictments here, where like you said, the state of Florida, I mean, this is, probably the worst year the state has had since Miami and Florida state started to become Miami and Florida state. Mm -hmm. And the Gators should have been in position to capitalize that on that in recruiting. And they haven't. And that's an indictment on the staff and, and what they've done or more accurately what they have not done. You have any idea who Dan Mullen may be looking at to be his next defensive coordinator, or or is that something that he's probably not even pursued too heavily at this point? I'm sure he has a list. He, he always does. All, all coaches do. And I mean, uh, I think he at least had to think about getting rid of Todd Grantham at the end of last year. But look, let's and I, that's, that's a, a very good question. And I, I presume that should be something that the Gators brass thinks about as they figure out whether Dan deserves a fifth year. But he's got to get to the point where he's in position to hire a defensive coordinator. Right. Like, and I don't know that he is. Um, you look at. You look at what's happened the last couple of weeks. You know there were rumblings that obviously the program has not clicked at the level it needs to, right? I mean he, the expectation is to compete for championships, and he has not he has not done that. Um, I mean I, I shouldn't say that because he he did get them six points away from Bama, but he hasn't clicked at an elite elite level yet. And some people have been unhappy certainly with some of the stuff he did on the field and off the field last year. Um, NCAA uh, probation and penalties, that did not help. So there were rumblings that if he lost to LSU, that'd be hard for him to come back from. And he did. Mm-hmm. And then he gets destroyed by Georgia. And I remember thinking, ooh, I don't know if he comes back from this. And then he loses at South Carolina by 23. 
And I remember thinking, oh, I, I don't know how he comes back from this. And then he gives up 42 points at home to Sanford. And I remember thinking, ooh, I don't know how he comes back from this. So that's four games in a row that you're like, this is, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. And that's kind of where he is right now. So it, it's, it's a good question in terms of who might he hire as defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, shoot, Manny Diaz in the state might be looking for a job here in a couple weeks for all we know. And he, he worked with, with, uh, with Dan at Mississippi State. So mm-hmm. there's going to be options available. Um, and I think Florida would be able to get a good one. I mean, I understand the, the concern some Gator fans have in terms of what great defensive coordinator would want to hitch your wagon to an embattled head coach, but Florida will pay up. These, these things always work out. They're not going to get somebody, you know, some schmuck off the street. They will get a good coach if that's the way it works out. But that is a very big if right now. Any idea what Anthony Richardson will do? And and if uh, I have no idea if he's a big Dan Mullen fan or not, but uh, Dan Mullen's fate, does that help or, or hurt the Gators when it comes to, to retaining Anthony Richardson? I'm not sure if it helps or hurts. It would depend on who the new coach is. I mean, Anthony is a Gainesville guy. He, he, you know, he went to high school in Gainesville, the Gator brand, that school, that means something to him. And I think that's something that probably goes beyond who the head coach is. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, uh, Dan has a track record in producing quarterbacks and, and developing them into elite guys. You know, we don't have to go through all the lists, the, the Dax and Alex Smith and Tim Tebow and, and Kyle Trask to, to the Heisman uh, mm-hmm. ceremony, all that stuff. He's done a fantastic job over his career, and, I, and I'm sure Anthony Richardson knows that, and that's the reason why he wanted to come. But I think it would just depend on what happens next if, if the Gators do go in a different direction. Um, I would expect, again, we're, we're just talking ifs here, but I would expect the Gators' next coach, whenever that happens, to be an offensive guy. Uh, I think Florida's learned that after the, the Will Muschamp debacle. They, they need offense. That's the way they're going to have to win. So we would see what happens with that. But, yeah, that, Anthony Richardson's fate is one of the many unanswered questions we have right now circling around the Gators, uh, starting with Dan and working all the way down. All right, Matt, I really appreciate all your time. I just got one quick question for you. I noted you're a Heisman voter there, and I know the rules, you're not allowed to say who you're going to vote for, so I'm not asking you that. But is this the toughest year you can recall trying to figure out who's going to win the Heisman? And, and is there a candidate or two that you may be leaning towards, or, or are you still kind of waiting for the full season to play out? I'm waiting for the full season to play out, and that's not me trying to be political. That That's just the, the God's honest truth. I mean, I vote for – I'm a member of the Football Writers Association of America, so they have an All-American team, and mm-hmm. there's all sorts of awards. And I've, you know, before we, I hopped on here, I, I filled out a couple of ballots for, for various awards. It makes me sound way more important than I am, but that's, <laughs> um, that, that's what I, I've been spending some of the afternoon on. And I don't like doing it now because I, the season's not over. Right. Like. I don't know whether I think in my heart of hearts, Kenny Pickett had a better season this year than CJ Stroud or, or Bryce Young. The season's not over. Let's mm-hmm. see what happens here. Um, I don't know whether I think Kenneth Walker deserves to be on the Heisman ballot over the Kobe Dean or, or Jordan Davis or Anderson at, at, at Bamba. I don't know yet. It hasn't happened. So when I watch the season, I'm always kind of thinking in the back of my head, who am I going to vote for Heisman? Because it's, it's something I take seriously. Um, it's 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 a it's a cool responsibility. I mean, <laughs> I got married. Uh, it'll be ten years ago next month, and the groom's cake at my wedding was the Heisman Trophy. It was shaped like the Heisman. Oh, that's so, awesome! <laughs> it, it was. It was fantastic. It was chocolate milk. It was delicious. Um, <laughs> so to to have this this uh, you know this um, responsibility is one I take seriously. So I as I'm watching the season, I. I kind of taking mental notes in my head. And then what I'll do is the Monday after the um, conference championship games, I come up with a short list. Like I, I tell my boss, don't bug me. This is what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, I come up with a short list, eight to 12, 15 names, depending on the year. And I will go through one by one. And this guy, eh, let's, let's, look, let's look at the numbers. Let's dive in. How did you in the big games? How did you in the blowout? Look at the highlights, all that stuff to come up with, you know, who I think is the top three. And then I'll, uh, once the, the winner is announced on that Saturday night, I'll publish my explainer on tampabay.com. So 
people can see why, even if they disagree with me, they can at least understand why I made the decision I made. Cause I've made some that, that people didn't agree with. I mean, in 2015, I had Dalvin cook number one from Florida state. Mm. I watched him, Derek Henry and Leonard Fournette beat a, or all play a very good Gators defense in back to back to back weeks of the three. I thought Dalvin cook was the best. Um, so I'm, I'm fine going against the grain, but, uh, I just have to, I want to make sure that you understand why I did what I did, even if you disagree. All right, he's Matt Baker, Tampa Bay Times reporter. And again, his Twitter handle at mbakertbtimes. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Sure, thanks for having me. All right, Shane, so I just want to say thanks again to Matt for joining the show. Really appreciate him giving us uh, all the time he did and and giving us some insight into them Florida Gators. And speaking of those Gators, Shane, they're playing a huge game here on the road this weekend mm-hmm. against the Missouri Tigers. Both teams will win away from punching their ticket to the postseason. So this is going to be one where the both teams obviously are going to be fighting hard to get that win. But if you think back to this time last year, Shane, you remember Florida and Missouri, they had themselves a little dust up, a little mini brawl here on the field. Mm-hmm. This was the game where Dan Mullen, after the and this was after that brawl, he came out with the Darth Vader costume. And Ooh. Eli Drinkwitz was not too happy about that. And, you know, taking all that into consideration, considering how Florida basically didn't show up against Southern, uh, South Carolina and got beat. They didn't show up for the first half of Sanford and were getting beat. Mm-hmm. How motivated do you think they are to go up here to face a team that they think they'll probably just beat the brakes off just like the rest of these teams? Whereas on the flip side, you got a Missouri Tigers that were dead, you know, d- dead in the water here a couple weeks ago. Now they've got life. They just con- dominated the South Carolina Gamecocks. A, a South Carolina team had just beat Florida, yeah. and they got completely – uh, disrespected, I think, by the Gators last season. So, I don't know, Shane. I think um, I think the Gators might be getting in a little bit of a buzzsaw here. Could be, Mike. I mean, you know, for the longest time, we gave Mizzou a hard time about their defense, saying that they may be the worst defense in the SEC. And I don't know, Mike, the last three weeks, it looks like the Florida Gators. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I don't know what the over-under on this thing is, but I'm expecting a shit ton of points in this game. And, uh, you know, I-, I will say there was a couple things after the game. I think the biggest thing was the video leak of the locker room because you just don't know. You don't know how these kids are acting. If they're – I mean, I- we've all been part of a team and you go home and it's just like, you know, like – was it a big game? It was everybody bringing everything they could to this moment. And and you look at what Florida Gators have been going through, and, and you, I, always, I always felt like they weren't, man. I always felt like that maybe this locker room's disconnected. Maybe they just, you know, shit, they, well, maybe we should hit the portal because mm-hmm. we ain't going to have a coach next year. But, you know, when you see that and then taking in Coach Mullen there after the game, that, that gave me a little bit of a life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Now, on the, other, on the flip side of the coin, you look at Mizzou, you know, they had the tough game against Georgia. They beat South Carolina. They're starting to gain a little bit of confidence, Mike, and I think that's exactly what they need. And they're getting healthy. So, uh, you, you put all those pieces together, we're going to have a hell of a matchup here. So, uh, one of these teams got to walk away, but I think if this, if you're ever going to beat the Florida Gators, this is your best shot. Now, let me ask you this real quick, Shane. If I had to ask, you know, one player that's kind of peaking at the right time, maybe the hottest player in this matchup, I th- think you'd have to say Tyler Beatty, who just had another 200-yard mm-hmm. performance. And I don't know if you can – you keep asking him to carry the team here, but if he's able to do that – uh, again, I think the Gators could be in trouble, but I see what you're saying. Maybe they just needed to get that win. I think it had been about a month since the Gators got themselves a win. They got it yeah. last week, so maybe that gives them some juice. But I don't know about you, Shane. I'd rather ha- I'd rather be on the team with Tyler Beatty come Saturday. Well, it's tough not to, Mike. I mean, there, I saw something come out. I can't. I want to give him credit, but I can't remember who said it. But there was like three three running backs that have ever had four 200-yard games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of them was Leonard Fournette and the other one was Derrick Henry. You know I mean, that's that, thinking about the company you're with. Right. So, Derek, Derek Beatty is one of those guys that has – I mean, he's just – he's super talented, man. And what sucks is I don't think he gets enough recognition for how good he really is. 
you know, and, and that's why we, we talk about things like the Heisman and, and stuff like that. There's, there's some players that literally are the team, and that's what Beatty has been for the Mizzou Tigers, man. He's literally their team. And so I'm saying it right now, throw the record books out. He's my Heisman front, front runner. Yeah, and Eli Drinkowitz right here, Shay. We'll play the clip. He asked him, how valuable is Tyler Beatty to this team? He says, five wins valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Last year, things got heated in this game. Uh, there, there was something just before halftime. How do you make sure there's no spillover? Yeah, I don't see, you know, I, 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 that, that was kind of something that, I think certain things got out of control, but I don't think it started as anything with the two teams. And I think it was something that maybe got um, a couple people, um, probably made it worse than it needed to be, um, that were in the middle of it. And so, I, uh, to be honest with you, I don't see how that would even roll into this game, to be honest with you. I, I don't even think about it. Are you and Drinkwitz tight, close? Yeah. Have you even talked to him since the – since last year here? Oh yeah, a bunch. Oh yeah. Yeah, he I've known him a long I've known him a long time. He took a little shot at you guys at SC Media Days, so which one? I've been that the that, one that about him praying for snow. You're gonna <laughs> complain about you'll be able to complain about the weather and everything anyway. Yeah. That's okay. I don't I mean he's got some personality. I he has some funny yeah. little one liner stuff and that I've known him since what, what was it? I think the first time I met him was when he was uh, like a student assistant or something for uh, for Gus Malzahn when he was coaching in high school, when I was there recruiting. So uh, he reminds me of that. So, uh, no, I, I, I got a lot of respect for him. Good guy. Uh, I, and I think there's uh, – I didn't come out with any needling of him, but I think if I did, they would know it's all in good, good fun. Dan, uh, one of the things that's been so obvious this year, these glaring inconsistencies, you know, you have a bad first quarter – against Alabama, then you dominate three. You've, your defense shows that Kentucky and the offense gives game away. And, and on and on, it's been like a roller coaster ride. How frustrating is that, and how do you deal with, with solving that problem? Um, well, you know, there's a lot of different ways than you look at it. It was. I mean, like, I mean, it was, there was a time, it was a 42-28 we were losing in that game uh, on Saturday. And then we outscored them 42-10, to 10, you know, um, and uh, from that point forward. And, uh, well, I, you know, you wonder. I, I think there's a couple things. You can look at it and you can be really disappointed maybe at times. Imagine if we played at our high level every snap throughout the season. How good could we be? You also look, or maybe maybe we're not as good, but all of a sudden things aren't going well and we have, we've had mental toughness to be able to go recover from it at certain times. Uh, you know, and I think there's all kinds of little things that go. Obviously, as a coach, uh, you know, and you look at your team. You want to go out. I mean, I want to turn on the film, and you want to, like, everybody performs at the highest of levels, perfect assignment, perfect, right, technique, perfect execution, and making plays on every snap of the game. You know, and, and at the end of the game, every time we have the ball, we average 14 yards of play, and we've scored every possession, and they have minus four yards and went three and out every possession. Right with two blocked punts and a kick return for a touchdown, uh, the, you know. I mean, obviously that's probably unrealistic, but in, in your mind, like you want to see your team perform at the extreme highest level of all times. Uh, but that's the challenge that we have, and it is frustrating. You want to see us, but I want to see the consistency of performance. There's times to me where I thought we've had great mental resolve to come back from tough situations to give ourselves opportunity to win. And maybe it wasn't we were terrible. We just had great mental resolve to come back. There's other times where, boy, we've been really bad, and I wish we could have played better and consistently throughout the year. So I think there's a little bit of both. Eli, where are you at as far as picking your starting quarterback? Is that a process that goes through the week, or do you already know what you can do? No, we're going to have great practice today. We're going to compete today and practice uh, today and tomorrow and see where we're at and see who gives us the best chance to win. Similar to last week, where you can't have three separate plans. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that. I think um, I think we, you know, no different than uh, you know after a, a game early in the season where we said, "Hey, competition, 
uh, brings out the best in everybody. And so we're going to compete, and, and uh, we'll see where it goes. When you have a week like this, where you have that, you know, win online and all these stuff, is that something that you lean into? No. Before that, how do you kind of navigate that? You know, I think it's important for us to focus on being 1-0. and um, And then at the end of the season, you stack up how many wins you have and determine where you go. But I'm not – there doesn't need to be any more external pressure because this game determines whether or not we go to a bowl game. If we're not motivated to go play for our seniors, if we're not go, uh, motivated to play at home, like how much motivation do you need? So I'm not, I'm not leaning into that at all, really. Well, I think he's been five wins valuable. Um, you know, I don't know that we, I don't know that we we have five wins if it's not for Tyler Beatty. And you know, you think about the Central Michigan game and the fourth quarter when when you know he's able to break the long run and set us up to to win the game. And again, you get to the Vanderbilt game where they've cut it down to three and hand him the ball and he goes 78 yards. And then, you know, again, uh, miss you know misplays in the fourth quarter that allow the game to get a lot closer than it needed to be. And then, you know, Tyler is able to run us down the field and we're able to take a knee. So, I mean, I think all those plays are really definitive of how much impact. Yeah, like it was something to me, about how you view Florida, especially their head coach and everything happened at halftime last year. But when you look back on last year's game and maybe the rivalry between you and Florida, what are your thoughts on how kind of the state of that rivalry? I mean, I think it's a good rivalry. I think we're five and five. Missouri versus Florida, you know, last year was last year. Um, I think we've put that to bed. Uh, both teams issued statements following the game, and I don't think there's anything really to add to that. Uh, you know, I think Coach Mullen's a good football coach. Um, obviously, he's got a, a really sharp offensive mind um, and has been uh, very good for a long time on the offensive side of the ball. I think he's been a head coach in this league for 13 years, which is uh, saying a lot considering there's and several coaches only lasted two. Um, and so I think, you know, obviously I have a lot of respect for how he's handled himself as a head football coach and, and uh, the way he's developed programs. Um, and so, I mean, to me, there's nothing there. We, we made statements last week or last season, and I'll let those speak for themselves. And, you know, I, I made a joke this summer about wanting snow, and apparently the snow gods aren't going to cooperate. So I'll, I'll keep any more wisecracks to myself. All right, uh, next game, Chad, I wanted to ask you about Alabama at home this week playing an Arkansas team on the rise, number 21 in the mm -hmm. new playoff poll. Alabama's won 13 in a row in this series, but, you know, I think, the, if anything, the last couple weeks has shown us that uh, Alabama, I, don't, I just don't think they're on top of their game right now, whereas – Yes, they've had a, a terrific streak here against the Razorbacks, but I think you could argue this is the best Arkansas team of that entire mm -hmm. streak coming into Tuscaloosa. Going on the road will be incredibly tough, but Arkansas does have some pieces like Traylon Burks is going to be a nightmare. K.J. Jefferson is playing. You know, he's he's the reason they won that LSU game, just the plays right. he was able to make. And I know this is a very, very tough ask, but – if Arkansas can win the ground game, because that's what LSU did, that's what Florida did, and those were some dogfights there that Alabama found themselves in, is there any path you see to the Razorbacks pulling off a stunning upset? And, you know, of course, I'm not asking you to pick the game right here, but I don't know, Shane. I just think this is going to be the most competitive Arkansas-Alabama game we have seen in a number of years. What do you think about that? Yeah, and, 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 you know, two words, Mike, and this is one of Nick Saban's famous quotes is rat poison. Mm -hmm. And if you turn on anything, man, I, I spent I, – I had – I will say this. Got to go over to my mother-in-law's today. We celebrated her birthday. She's been on this earth for more than 70 years. It was a great experience. But in the background there at that house, they had the old Paul Feinbaum going. And I swear, <laughs> for 20 minutes, they just talked about the Georgia-Alabama matchup and the SEC championship. Mm -hmm. That's all that's going on. That's all that's in their minds. It's the rat poison right now. That's what hurts, I think, Alabama is, hey, we've already made it. We're going to the SEC championship. Win that game, we're in the college football playoffs. Win a couple, we're in the national, we're national champs again. 
I think the problem with Alabama is sometimes they do – they have a tendency to look forward. I think they did it with Tennessee. I think they uh, – you know, they came prepared with Ole Miss. Right. Everybody said Ole Miss is going to give them a fit, and mm-hmm. you saw Alabama stepped on them. You know, Texas A&M, man, they're really struggling. They overlooked them. It was a close game, and then they end up losing it. So, right. I, you you look at some of these – the LSU, that's a problem. another one, man. Just another one that they were supposed to dominate. They overlooked it. Next thing you know, it's a one-possession game. That's what scares me about Alabama is sometimes they they just think they deserve a win. They just don't come out hitting on all cylinders like they should. And you cannot do that with the Arkansas Razorbacks, man. You got Arkansas that is coming off a huge win for with the LSU that got the golden boot. Man, momentum's at an all-time high right now. The, the These guys are ready. They're ready to play Alabama. They think they – They've played good teams, man. They've played Georgia. They've played Ole Miss. They've played good teams. So, they're not afraid to go against, uh, you know, of course, I I picked two that they lost. I guess maybe those those aren't the best examples. But, you know, Alabama isn't any better than Georgia. You know what I'm saying? So, the nervousness, I think, is off. You've you've already lost the games. You You have nothing to lose. Arkansas has nothing to lose. They're expected to lose this game. And I think that's the biggest thing. You, you got somebody that has nothing to lose. Those are the ones you should be scared of. And here you got Alabama already thinking about SEC championship. So, yeah, I think that's my biggest concern for, for Crimson Tide is just overlooking the game. Yeah, and you asked me last time about the injuries to Alabama. Roy Dale Williams running back out. They haven't given a significant – excuse me, a, a specific timeline, but they say he's out for a significant amount of time. So, that's terrible. Jace McClellan – He's already out for the year, I do believe they've announced. And but so it's that makes it sound like it's gonna be Trey Sanders time, Shane. We've been waiting for Trey Sanders <laughs> to break out. And you know, that's Alabama for you. You you're down to your third stringer. Oh no, what are you gonna do? Oh yeah, he was number one overall running back. He's you know, the next Alvin Kamara. So we'll see if uh, Trey Sanders has a, he had a good performance last week. But that was against New Mexico State. Let's see what he can do at, against Arkansas. And one player they do got, Shane, no one else got someone as good as old Will Anderson, the outside linebacker. He's picking up Heisman buzz, 11 sacks, mm-hmm. 15 – no, excuse me, 19 tackles for loss, 58 tackles. He has someone Nick Saban and Sam Pittman had to talk about in their weekly pressers because he's just that damn good. With Will Anderson, how does a player like that with a skill set like has changed the way an offensive team game plans or schemes are blocking? Um, yeah, well, you know, I think Will's done an outstanding job. He's a good player. He plays hard. Um, I think the important thing is that you have complimentary players that if they do try to scheme him, uh, that other players can, you know, take up the slack and, um, you, you know, give you pressure in other areas, uh, which I think some of our players have done a good job of. So, yes, I think that's possible. Um, but I think we need to definitely have other guys be able to rush and do a good job in other areas, which, you know, has kind of happened on our team. Yeah. Now that uh, you're down to two healthy scholarship running backs, I mean, how, how does that affect or maybe change things potentially with how you approach things offensively? Well, I don't think, you know, you can change a lot. Um, you know, we've worked a couple other guys there for over a month now. Uh, those guys are functional at the position. Um, we'll probably look for somebody else on our team that uh, maybe we could sort of develop into being a functional player uh, from an emergency standpoint if we need them. Uh, but I don't really think that we, we can change right now. Uh, we certainly have to have a plan if we have any more issues at that position. Hey, Coach, just sticking with running backs, just have you seen Trey Sanders progress and how important is it going to be for him to step up now with Roy Dell out? Well, I think it's, you know, he's got a great opportunity. Uh, I thought he played well in the game. It was good to, you know, get him some touches in the game. I think he understands the offense well, and I think he's a very capable guy. And, um, you know, now that he's going to have a more significant role, uh, it's time, you know, for him to, you know, take advantage of that opportunity as well. But we have every confidence that he can do that very well for us. Hey, usually when Arkansas plays Alabama, Alabama's number one. This year they're all the way down to number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they look, played number one. Yeah. yeah. Do they, well, Arkansas's played number one twice in some seasons. Um, did, did they look any – you know, they lost three Heisman finalists. They're, no. I guess they're quarterbacks. Uh, do they look any different to no. you? Do they look a little more vulnerable? No. no, 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 no. Very, very talented. 
They have elite skill, big offensive and defensive linemen. They have an elite pass rusher, more than one. Uh, no. I mean, they're Alabama. I mean, they're what you when you turn on the film, they're what you expect to see. I mean, you had to you had to go out there down there and play a really really good football game and and see what happens. But um, you know, LSU played them close because LSU's got a lot of talent, you know, and they're playing hard now and and uh, physical, and that's how you that's how you beat Alabama. If you know, not many people can, you know, but you, you're gonna have to get into a you know into a fist fight and see if you can come out. Ahead, and you're going to have to hang on to the ball. You have to play a really, really good game to to have a chance, especially on the road against Alabama. And Stevens, you know, he might be the number one offensive guy in the country. A lot of people's minds, Anderson, number one defensive guy. What is Anderson doing to get all those sacks specifically, and what really impresses you about Young? I really like what they do with him. You know, they they move him some, but um, you know, they do a lot of what I call behind the center blitzes. Uh, so they'll take him all the way behind the center. They'll take him into the A-gap. You know, he has so much speed, so the tackle, this week our tackles really, really have to have a good week of practice because if you set wide on him, it's over. I mean, he's going to come in, he's going to beat it. You don't have time to exchange the three technique. Um, back in the old days, threes used to run and then get contained. Now it's just straight up the field. Uh, basically what they're trying to do is pick the tackle and not give the guard time to come off, and he's so fast. So it's not only that he's a great one-on-one -on -one rusher, which he is, but it's because of all the multiple things they do knowing that he's a guy. They set him up real nice, too, and, he and, and you know, of course everybody would uh, if he had that kind of talent. It's really it's been since like 2011, the most Arkansas teams going to Alabama and just like got no chance. Do you feel the success you all have had maybe gives this team a little ad different attitude going into this game? Well, we have a chance. I mean, um, the, the, the number one thing, and I know it might be considered coach speak or whatever, the number one thing you have to do to go beat a team is believe you can do it. And, you know, if you've got a whole plane full of guys that are going, man, I – I, I, when's this game over, uh, you don't have a chance, you know. And we all probably in high school or we all been on that team that goes, hmm, I wish we wouldn't, wouldn't have drawn this team. That's the number one thing. I'll go back to look at my first year here in 213. And we got beat 50 to nothing, I think, or something like that by Alabama. And then the next year we got beat by a point. Now, things happen and different things during the game, like all that. But the number one difference to me was we had a team full of guys that believed that they could win. And uh, I think success of our program that we've had, however you view it, whether it's been a lot or a little bit or some or none, uh, our kids, it's helped them uh, confident-wise of going in there, hey, we've beaten some – you know, pretty good teams this year, and we know how good Alabama is. But it gives us confidence that we can go in there and and uh, and play well. All right, Chase. So that's all I got, buddy, on this episode. A jam-packed, a lot of content, great interview, and some leaked audio. This show had it all. You know what? <laughs> it did, man. Oh, I love it, man. SEC and the rumor mill. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, buddy. Uh, it's a late one, so I'm going to cut it here. But uh, I do appreciate you joining me as always. I appreciate each and every one of you for checking us out. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. <laughs> <laughs>